Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. This is Russ, K5TUX, welcoming you, our listeners, faithful and new, whichever you happen to be, to episode 106 of Linux in the Ham Shack. And we have uh, Pete, our new regular co-host, V2XPL from Montreal, Canada. I will introduce you first because we have a special guest who's waiting in the wings. So how are you doing tonight, Pete? I know you've got uh, something a little stronger than ginger ale this week. Yeah, good evening. I like the comment. Uh, what, what does the comment mean? That's too bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually having a Kilkenny uh, Irish cream ale, which I enjoy once in a while. I, I only have one. I, I actually buy four packs of beer, and it'll last me like a week, a week and a half sometimes. So uh, now that the summer's here, it's kind of nice. It's actually been really hot here, atypically hot. Uh, it's, it's only 22 Celsius right now, uh, 73 Fahrenheit, but uh, went as high as 29 today, around 86. I know Peter's going to laugh at me uh, because it gets a lot hotter than that where he is in the summer, but uh, it's uh, pretty hot for us, and I'm not used to this uh, this early in the spring. But that being said, it is sunny and beautiful, and all the beautiful people are coming out here in Montreal. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a good day and a good week. All right. I'm glad to hear it. And coming to you live from 1130 a.m. tomorrow, we have Peter64, who listeners of this show may recognize from the Ogcast Planet IRC chat or from the Colonel Panic Ogcast and uh, various other places where he shows up here, there, and everywhere to tell everyone what he thinks about stuff. And he doesn't really know what he's doing here tonight, but I'll let him in on a little secret. It's so we can bring in the female factor. We're going to use his uh, his sexy Australian accent to bring women to our show. That's that's what he's here for. So, hey, Peter64, how are you doing? Uh, g'day, Russ. G'day, fellas. You made me bloody blush. I haven't blushed in years. <laughs> and I, it's not very often I get told I have a sexy accent, I can tell you that one. I don't know. I, a lot of the people that I know here in the States uh, have a real thing for British and or Australian accents. I happen to be one of those. If you get a, you know, a woman who speaks with a nice uh, British or Australian accent, I find that you know pretty attractive. It, uh whether or not they are the the voice just really works for me so uh i don't know i you know uh i'm not gonna say that that's gonna work for you uh because you know obviously i'm not of the other gender <laughs> so uh and i'm not sure which way uh you know your flagpole leans so uh 
<laughs> this is already degenerating. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, we have we have to make Peter feel at home, see, so is, this is just like KPO. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah, very comfortable. All oh, right. There you go. Well, here in Canada, we also uh, appreciate a, a fine accent, so uh, Peter's accent will be welcome in our country as well. We we share, uh, we're, we're both Commonwealth countries, Commonwealth countries, so uh, we're kind of like uh, cousins. We always say our Australian cousins, so welcome, Peter. Yeah, thanks, bud. Okay, and uh, I, I just wanted to make one more comment about your uh, Irish cream ale that you've got over there and how you only have one of them. Well, I'm, I'm having a Jim Beam and Coke as, uh, tonight, and I only have one of those as well, but it's 1.75 liters. So, uh, yeah, you're using the, uh, the 7-Eleven uh, big boy uh, cup there? <laughs> no, I've just got the whole uh, giant bottle your next oh, there you go. <laughs> Excellent. no and of course that won't be drunk tonight but it uh i might be anyway uh peter is also here to uh lend his thoughts about anything we happen to talk about he's got his eye on the ether pads probably browsed through it and said what the hell does any of this mean but uh at some point we'll hear from peter i'm sure uh, even if it's about vegemite yeah, uh, that's probably about it. Uh, <laughs> although I have used KDE once, many, many years ago, and was pretty impressed with it. But anyway, we'll see how we go. All right. Well, you're going to be more up on KDE than me because I don't think I've used it in probably a half a dozen years. All right. So let me start with my uh, couple of things here that I've got down, and then Pete can do uh, most of this show, I think, because you've actually done far more work and research this past couple of weeks than I have done since uh the late 90s i don't know about the work a little bit of research but uh, a lot of it is uh just you know personal culture we'll put it under that umbrella okay well i'm going to take 10 seconds to remind everyone that the dayton hamvention is coming up very very soon now may 17th through the 19th we'll be there north hall booth 131 and uh i'll be sitting there with my megaphone shouting about how great sierra radio systems and technology are and in a related topic hey that's next week uh almost next week yep yep i know it's i see i see joel from the linux link tech show who you know russ he started to do a ham radio uh podcast as well yeah he's he, a member of our he said last night yeah he's a member of our podcast network well he and tracy are yeah right I, I, unfortunately, I haven't had the time to listen to that one yet. I, I haven't had time to listen to a lot of podcasts lately, actually. Well, that's good. I, I feel better now because I haven't had a, a chance to listen to KPO in a while. And you know why that is? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're smart. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that close. But that's why I don't listen to Dev Random. But the reason I don't listen to KPO is because uh, each episode is about three hours long and I just don't have yeah. the time. Oh, perfect. That'll be perfect for me. My commute's like a three hours a day. I commute two hours and a half. So I'll be able to listen to an episode a day. That'll be awesome. Yeah. Well, some people, it's funny. Some people like long podcasts. Others like short and concise. You know, I typically like the longer ones because when you're sitting on a mile for eight hours, you listen to bloody anything. You know, that's what I always say. Mm. I, I wish I had more time. I honestly do because I, I really like KPO. I, I like the the back and forth and the interaction that you guys have. And like Pete said earlier, a lot of the discussion you have may not be focused on the topics you have written down, but some of it turns out to be the most entertaining and uh, even the most interesting. Really, uh, we're we're a little less free form here, alas, but we we make do. 
we could become free form. I could start drinking heavily if you want, and then we'll just like, ah, you bastard! You didn't really just say that. <laughs> I, I think your your wife might have something to say about that. I, I don't think I'm the one who should dictate whether you start drinking or not. No, as long as I'm only doing it on the show, she'll be okay with it. She'll be listening in the other room, busting a gut. Okay, great. Well, you could be funny without drinking. I can try. Okay, good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Give it that old college try. Oh, yeah, there you go. Woo. <laughs> All right. Well, when we were talking with the guys from uh, Sierra Radio Systems and Technology last weekend, he mentioned that there was a new version of the Beagle Bone that was going to be coming out, which actually had better specs than the one that they were using in their Hamstack product for less money. And I went over to the website today and found out that that product has actually been released. You can go ahead and buy the Beagle Bone Black, uh, as it's called. Uh, over at beagleboard.org stroke products with a capital P. And uh, that will give you a list of resellers where you can buy it from. This thing has better specs by about eight or ten times what a Raspberry Pi has. And it's only 45 bucks. And we're talking about a system that has two gigs of built-on storage, 512 megs of RAM, uh, an Ethernet port, USB ports, micro HDMI, runs all off of 5 volt DC at I believe 33 watts. It has a 1 gigahertz uh, ARM 8 processor. It also has UARTs and actual networking uh, fabric in it where it doesn't share all of the networking uh, hardware internally with the USB and Ethernet. So you actually get full uh, Ethernet throughput without taking away from your USB ports. Plus it has, I don't know, some ridiculous number like 128 GPIO pins. I don't know, it's just insane for the little bit more you pay for this BeagleBone Black product than you pay for the Raspberry Pi. You know, I got suckered into the, to the Raspberry Pi thing. I bought a couple of them myself and I've been using them. There's nothing wrong with them. But I think if I ever want to buy a low-power computer again, you know, an all-in-one box, I'm going this way. So What do you use it for, Russ? Your, your power, or both of them? Well, actually, one of them right now is still in the box that it came in because I'm not using it for anything. But the other one is sitting behind me in my ham shack, and it's powering an, an Echolink node, uh, which is a VOIP uh, ham radio solution. And, and it's powering... It's actually connected up to a radio via an audio interface, uh, so it connects my my radio uh, in simplex operation mode to the internet, so I can actually broadcast worldwide. Basically, all of that's done using open source software uh, on a Raspberry Pi. Pete, do you have one or one of those? No, ones? no, I, I have neither. I've been thinking of the Raspberry Pi, but then when we inter interviewed the guys last week. I thought, ah, oh, this, you know, better option, not a whole lot extra money. I don't really have any projects that I need to do for one right now. So I have not, uh, you know, and needing a million other things, uh, you know, budgeting is always a little bit tight. So, uh, eventually when I have more time and a few extra dollars, I think I would go for the Beagle Bone. But Russ mentioned something interesting. He said he got suckered into buying the Raspberry Pi, but it just seems to me that you hear about the Raspberry Pi everywhere. And the Beagle Bone I hadn't heard of until we interviewed uh, Pignology and, and Sierra Radio last week. So it might just be a marketing thing. The Raspberry Pi people seem to have the marketing uh, maybe a little bit better than, than the Beagle Bone people. I'm, I'm not sure why that is. Well, yeah. they probably, uh, Raspberry Pi started it all, didn't they? 
And no, they actually, they, afterwards. no, they didn't actually be, and I can, uh, I can say that because I met the guy who developed the Beagle board, uh, the original Beagle board, which came out of a project for Hewlett Packard that he was working on and that project he developed and was displaying it as a robotics controller at the first Indiana Linux fest, which was way before the Raspberry Pi came out. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, there you go. So it must have been marketing and the Raspberry Pi. Yeah, it was on the news and everything. Well, I think what, I think what brought the Raspberry Pi to the, fr- to the forefront of everybody's attention was the price point because the, the Beagle board in its original configuration cost almost $200. Oh, right. Yeah. So yeah, you're so. not just going to buy one of them to chuck it in the cupboard. Right. But now that they're down under $50, I mean, I think the Raspberry Pi is going to have to come way up spec wise. Uh, to keep up. Well, Jay Lindsay in the chat room mentions that the Raspberry Pi Model B ends up being close to 50 bucks anyways, so, you know, it's not really that much of a big difference. Yeah, and of course, to use any of these systems, you have to have a bunch of peripherals and add-ons and stuff. I mean, basically, you've just got a board with nothing attached to it, so if you want to install anything, you need an SD card, you need a keyboard, you know, a mouse, a monitor, and all that kind of stuff, and it doesn't come cheap if you've if you've got this stuff already on hand that's one thing but if you're just wanting to buy it as a computer it's not really that cheap an option if you if you're already doing development on some other platform and you want to use this as the deployment platform once you have everything developed where it runs headless basically in an embedded environment then yeah these things are super awesome and that's exactly what the guys uh doing hamstack are doing and that's why they they favored the beagle bone over the pie yeah, well, I had mine for over 12 months and really, you know, typically when you get something, you play with it, it's great fun. Went up in the cupboard and it wasn't until I come across the uh, high weather station stuff that I pulled it down and now it just uploads data to the internet. It's hooked up to an external weather station and it was sort of a project I set up and it's been happily sitting there running now for about six months. But other than that, it'd be still in the cupboard. Yeah, I actually saw your project there. I saw the website that you generated. You actually made it part of the KPO site, if I recall correctly, and uh, that was actually pretty cool looking. I liked it. Yeah, it was just a little project, and I did a short HPR on it. Yeah, because I'd imagine there's a lot of people like me who bought these things, and then you go, uh, what do you do with it now? You know, I, I installed XVMC on it, hooked it up to a 19-inch monitor, and also put a emulator on it to run old-school games, you know. But these are only projects that, amused me for about 15 minutes and uh, then it would be packed up and put back in the cupboard. Well, that's probably what they're expecting when they sell you a $25 computer is something that may only interest you for about 15 minutes and they actually may only have about 15 minutes in their in their fame reservoir uh, before something better comes along and I, I honestly think the BeagleBone is going to give them a run for their money if they have any kind of marketing savvy at all. Yeah, there's so many. Um, I know, I, I can't, the name eludes me at the moment, but I know Crayon looked at a couple of them and ended up getting one. I think it was a quad core. Jay Lindsay's listening, he'd know what it was for sure, but the sky's the limit these days when it comes to these little miniature processors or arm boards or whatever they are. I don't want to beat the, the beagle bone to death, but if, uh, like I said, I gave the, the URL earlier and if it'll be in the show notes if you want to check out that and uh, it's a it's a pretty powerful little computer for less than fifty bucks. So it's uh, I think it's really going to give the pie a run for its money. 
the next topic is uh is one that pete came up with and i'm you know a huge fan of debian in fact i've started removing linux mint from all of my machines and going back to stock debian uh debian wheezy in fact which is uh, what this next uh, story is about pete tell us all about how debian has actually done something in less than a an eons time frame well, yeah, well, actually, I put this one here just exactly for you because I know what a Debian freak you are. So uh, uh, they uh, uh, have come out with Debian Wheezy. Uh, the uh, headline was uh, Debian Wheezy Linux Arrives on Time. And the uh, tagline, it's not every year that we uh, get to see brand new Debian Linux release. In fact, apparently it's been two years since uh, Squeeze came out uh, Russ, you can confirm that. I, I I really have no idea what I'm talking about here. Uh, I, I'm not a Debian fanboy. Not that I have anything against it, but um, uh, let's see. Debian's always been a distribution that only puts out releases when they're ready, and uh, Wheezy was done now, and uh, so they've released it now. They had some uh, problems with it. I was reading the article uh, very uh, diagonally before. They said they had problems with the uh, uh, release a few months ago, or, or what they were going to release, so they didn't release it, and they held off until now. But uh, it uh, uh, supports several desktop environments, uh, GNOME KDE, uh, something called Plasma Desktop and Applications, which I've never heard of. Maybe, Russ, you can speak to that after. XFC, LXDE, yada, yada, yada. And uh, it could run on, uh, they claim it could run on at least nine different uh, platforms. Uh, 32-bit PC, uh, i386, 64-bit, Intel EM64T. I won't go through all of them. Motorola, PowerPC, Sun Oracle, Spark Systems, uh, and more. So uh, if you want to go see the... Uh, I got this article from uh, linuxtoday.com. And that came out uh, yesterday, May 6th. So uh, hot off the presses. Uh, what do you have to say about that, Russ? The thing about Debian is I don't generally worry about the release uh of debian because one of the things that makes debian debian is it's a rolling release distribution so the fact is if you keep your repos tuned to the same if you keep them pointed to the same distribution cycle i.e testing for example then when you know squeeze becomes wheezy then you're automatically updated anyway the only time it really becomes any kind of uh an issue to be dealt with is when you want to install something on a system for the very first time. When you go ahead and download the ISO image and you do the install, then you're starting at a base point that at one point was called squeezy or squeezy. Yeah. Squeeze version five. Well, actually that was probably version six actually. Uh, and wheezy, which is now version seven. But honestly, once you get Debian installed on your PC and you just keep the rolling updates rolling, you never really notice the fact that the distribution names change or the version numbers change. It just sort of all happens in the background. To me, that's one of the sort of benefits of a rolling release. And unless you're doing a lot of installs, you really don't even care what Debian's newest version is called. So you don't have to do anything. It just happens all by itself like magic in the background? Pretty much. That's that's the way it's designed. And it's, it's sort of uh, the opposite of distributions like Fedora and Ubuntu, which put a lot of time and effort into, you know, doing uh, code update freezes and making sure that everything is set for release and that they come out at a specific time. And, you know, this one is called uh, version 17.0 with a specific code name. And this one's called version 13.04 and, and blah, blah, blah. Debian is sort of the antithesis of that. 
It's basically if you keep your distribution pointed at testing or Wheezy or whatever version you're on, it just keeps getting updated and you don't have to worry about what version it is. And how easy would that be for someone who's relatively new to Linux, like myself? You know, I you, you have no problems installing Ubuntu Mint. That pretty much put the CD in. You click a couple of times and it's done. Is Debian? If I if I was to put in Wheezy or Squeeze, would it be just as easy an install for me? I I honestly think so. I mean, we could ask somebody who considers himself a layperson in this. Uh, Peter sixty four. I know you've uh, installed various distributions over your your tenure as a Linux user. Uh, do you do you uh, notice any difference between something like Ubuntu, which has a distinct release cycle, and something like perhaps Arch or Debian, which has a rolling release cycle? To be totally honest with you, Russ, I've never ever used a Debian based distribution. For some reason, last time I installed Debian, it was on a 2.4 kernel, would you believe? So that would give you some idea how long ago. Naturally, I've looked at Ubuntu, uh, some of the derivatives. I put Bodhi Linux on. But when you're talking about installing Arch, you know, rolling release distribution that I've been running for quite a few years now, difference is totally chalk and cheese between the two. You know, you get the graphical installer, virtually just point and click as compared to sitting there and typing in stuff in the command line and manually practically doing everything these days for Varch. OpenZeus actually I, I installed recently, and I would imagine that's more akin to what you would get with Debian these days, wouldn't it be? Actually, Is it a graphical GUI? Sorry, I, <laughs> I, I just haven't looked at it. No, I haven't actually looked at OpenSUSE myself lately, but I kind of believe, at least from the past, that I've had experience with the RPM-based distributions like SUSE and Red Hat and Fedora and CentOS and, you know, all of those sort of all have a distinct release cycle. And while they do have a graphical installer, they have different, you know, they have assigned point releases and stuff like that. Whereas Debian, it's like once you install it once, you never have to go and download another ISO. You'll just always have the latest stuff. And it's sort of the same thing with Arch. Yeah, I never realized. So Debian is a rolling release to some degree. Or you do that system update or upgrade or whatever, do you? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a rolling release. I mean, it's not, not even partially a rolling release. It is definitely a rolling release. They do... <laughs> very infrequently, which is kind of the point of this whole discussion, come out with a product update. Well, they say, you know, we actually have a new product now and it's called Wheezy and it's version seven. And then maybe three years from now, they'll come out with version eight. And in the meantime, there'll be a whole lot of constant updates. But the thing of it is, is because Debian's a rolling release, if you started with version five and you've been updating continuously ever since, then when version eight comes out, you already have it. You know what I mean? They've just packaged it up so that if somebody decides to install it on a brand new PC, then they start at that point. But you're already there because you've been updating ever since you installed it the first time. Yeah, I know Arch used to get criticized for, they released the core ISO and they wouldn't update that sometime, oh, for a long, long time. You know, go, and there'd be critical changes with the file system and introduction of systems doing that. Where I know Arch now releases a core CD, and I'm not quite sure of the time frame, but it might even be monthly now. Once upon a time, uh, well, going back just before Christmas, I think it was, the ISO was back before December. Then you got it, you installed it, then you had to go through and do the file system upgrade, which 
had to be all done manually, then you also had to go and do the system's D update, which is all manually. Now you could go and get the new core ISO and it's all done for you. And I take it that's virtually what Debian's sort of doing too then, is it? That they update their core ISO uh, more frequent? I'm not sure what they what criteria they use to update their core ISOs. Basically, you know, when they decide that they're going to do an update, they come out with, you know, a few alphas and then a beta, and then there's a release candidate or two or three or four or whatever, and then they come out with an actual, you know, this is the release version. And Debian, when Debian actually puts out a release, it's usually so few and far between that nobody even notices because the people who actually use Debian just keep their stuff updated on a daily basis, just like me. So, you know, I don't know how that works for the average user. The average user may think that that's a little weird, you know, because when they look at Windows, for example, they see that, you know, they've gone from XP to 7 to 8 or whatever, and those are sort of uh, distinct quantities where Debian doesn't really do that. It's just sort of what it is, and your updates give you the latest of whatever's out there, and there's no versions attached to it. Okay, so there's no version. So it's not really using the OpenZeus model where you have Tumbleweed, which is their rolling release, but then every, I don't know, whatever it is, uh, 18 months or 12 months, they bring out a a different version update. So it doesn't... So Yeah, so that's interesting. But like I said, I've never ever looked at... Debian's just never interested me at all. For some reason. Oh, good, because Arch has never interested me at all. Uh, yeah, I know. It's different. <laughs> I don't know why. Something You just click on something and, and you just, once you get, you do your distro hopping, but then you set up for a distribution and you just stick with it. And then all of a sudden the other ones just become superfluous to some degree. Yeah, I did try Manjaro once and I was like, oh, this makes Arch look like Debian. So then I went back to Debian. Yeah, well, we've been talking a little bit about Manjaro, but I often wonder if that goes against the grain of why you would use Arch to begin with. Well, I'd I'd actually like to come on KPO sometime so somebody can explain to me why you would use Arch because I can't for the life of me think of one damn reason that I would use Arch. (laughs) Well, I just just quickly now... It, it has the best wiki second to none. And I think that was an alluring factor for me. That if I wanted help and I couldn't find Jay Lindsay, well, the wiki. Like, you're not going to find a comprehensive wiki like Archer's anywhere else, I don't think. Then you get to a stage, and I think a lot of people migrate from Windows to Linux because they're sick of the bloat, they're sick of you know, getting all this stuff installed that they didn't even want to begin with. Now, with Arch, you get the core installation, you install exactly what you want, nothing more. And that is a big selling point to me, too. I don't want all the glamour and that of the KDE desktop and GNOME 3 and all this sort of stuff. I, I want Arch Linux, Whip Awesome, with the applications I want to use and nothing else. See, I, I personally believe that Debian gives you that same option because in the installer, it allows you to install nothing. Basically, you can go through the entire installer. It gives you enough to boot the machine up and installs Grub into the master boot record. And then it says, what additional software would you like to install on your system to make it functional? And you can say, I don't want any of this. 
and then go on and it'll say, okay, you didn't install anything. You reboot, you come into a system that basically has a few file system utilities, the kernel modules that are enough to give you a screen, keyboard connection, and uh, you know an actual file system where you can put stuff on. And then you can just install everything that you want one piece at a time. Has Debian gone over to like systems yet? Uh, no, they still use Sys5. Yeah, so probably that may be the only selling point. Arches is, is on the bleeding edge of technology, you know. If, if you want the latest and greatest, you're going to run Arch, where if you want maybe, maybe Debian's a hell of a lot more stable, I don't know. Well, maybe I can generate some controversy here and say that I believe that Arch is on the bleeding stupidity of technology. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, you'll have to expand on that now. Okay. Early on in my career, when I was when I was doing what a lot of people who switch over to Linux do, they try and figure out which distribution they want to use. I sort of tried them all. I mean, I tried Mandrake. I tried Xandros. I tried Nopix and Debian and Gentoo and you know you, you name them and when it Lindos came windows and linspire you didn't mention them too but tell me did you ever try them i, I did try windows and linspire yes i did um, yeah it's amazing isn't it go uh, on you know, i mean your background is almost identical to mine every distribution you mentioned there are, are ones that i tried and ran with for a while yeah, and they were sort of, uh, back in the day, they were the hot items. You know, you had to try these new things because they were the thing that was going to make your system awesome. And some people had systems that were going to make your computer uh, more like Linux, and they were going to be great. And like Linspire and Lindos, they were going to make it more like Windows, and so they were easier to use. And uh, Mandriva or Mandrake were going to be the ones that were just um, sort of the best of both worlds and all of that. But ultimately, I got to Gentoo. You know, with Gentoo, there are basically three ways you can install Gentoo. There's the easy way, there's the kind of hard way, and then there's the, if you've got two weeks to spare, you can install Gentoo way. I actually went for the hard way. And when I got done with it, I was like, okay, great. I have a Gentoo install on my computer. Then I went and installed Debian in an hour and a half. And I said, well, screw this. I'm never going to install Gentoo again because I basically wound up with the same thing. And I didn't waste 10 million of my brain cells and, you know, a thousand hours of my life, uh, trying to get my computer to run. And I feel but didn't that you learn, didn't you learn from that experience? And uh, was that not the important thing? Well, maybe it was the important thing, but then why would I want to run Gen 2 into the future? Why don't I just want a system that does what it's supposed to do? Sure. Maybe as a one-time install. It, it was a great learning experience. And I actually went through the entire Linux from scratch project. So I, I think I've done it right from, you know, from basic bits all the way to a running system. And I certainly learned something from that. But the next time I go to install Linux on a machine, I'm sure as hell not going to build it the Linux from scratch way. Uh, yeah, and I can appreciate all that because, I, I, like I said, I've been running Arch now on all five of my systems for quite a long time. And it just so happens I decided to do the desktop a week or two ago. And I got to download the latest core ISO for Arch, and I thought, why? Why do I need to do this? Why not just go and grab OpenZeus, which I started back in 2003 with version 9, I think it was, and I love that distribution. So what did I do? I went and got the new 12.3 uh, release, packed it on the desktop, and, and you, you actually raised this issue before. You can do a minimalist install, 
And then I went and just installed Awesome, and I virtually had, for all intensive purposes, my Arch desktop, you know, up and running within a few mouse clicks, which is a hell of a lot quicker than I could have done it if I'd have started with Arch. Now, the benefit, I don't get the wiki, but I don't need it anymore. I'm at a stage where I'm pretty comfortable, you know, with Linux after 10 years and can typically get myself out of trouble when needed. Yeah. Now, I, honestly, I would love to continue this debate with you, but I have a feeling we're headed towards KPO land right now. Yeah, um, and Pete will be getting bored. <laughs> and I was no, kind of wondering. If, I'm actually uh, listening with great interest because I'm one of those people who's still looking for the perfect distribution. So uh, I've tried a, a whole bunch, some that you've mentioned and some that you mentioned that I've never heard of. But I'm actually curious about, uh, sorry, uh, about this Wheezy. I was looking for the name. I was actually curious about this Wheezy, and I might actually try installing it and add to my uh, Linux repertoire and see if I like it. I've been running Mint for a few years, and I'm actually pretty happy with it. It, it does what I want, but I, I don't really tend to do a whole lot either. So anyhow, yeah, that's okay. We can bring this one to a close at your convenience. Okay, well, I find it convenient. So next, KDE, why don't you go ahead and tell us about that? Because uh, Peter64 and I know precisely 0.001 zip of KDE. Well, KDE, just a quick note that uh, KDE, uh, also from the uh, Linux Today website, uh, uh, hot hot off the presses again. We've got all kinds of hot off the presses stories. Uh, KDE 4.10.3 uh, is uh, bringing you over 100 bug fixes. Didn't realize there was over 100 bugs in the last version, but apparently there, there, there were. Uh, these fixes were submitted by uh, users from the previous release, which I think is uh, great. It's the uh, community aspect of uh, Linux. And it also uh, brings uh, updated translations and uh, general improvements. And they claim that it's all in order to make KDE 4.10 more reliable and more stable. Proved uh, core applications, window manager, uh, PIM, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that is also uh, hot off the presses for all of you uh, KDE fanboys. Of which I am certainly not. I have tried KDE back in the 3.4, 3.5 days before they switched over to 4.1 and basically screwed up everything. And I kind of gather from the discussions that I've heard over the years since then that once KDE version 4 got to somewhere around version 4.4, people actually started to enjoy using it again. And it's experienced uh, something of a resurgence in the desktop environment world. And now that they've uh, come up to version 7, 8, 9 and done all of the things with uh, uh, project grouping and plasmoids and, and all of the stuff that makes KDE what it is. And, of course, the, uh, the ability to have such fine grain control over your desktop environment that KDE is, is uh, winning in the market where KDE is popular once again, but I prefer a certain level of simplicity on my desktop environment. So I, I prefer the GNOME stuff, but I think KDE is good at what it does. Having not really used any modern versions of it, I don't want to speak too as if I know something about it because I really don't. Is my thoughts on KDE? Yeah, just, I, um, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, Pete. I was just going to ask this, this plasma desktop that they talk about all the time. That's Sort of just a generic term for for the graphical environment that sort of it encompasses all their netbook and tablet and and 
the desktop and all the widgets and all that. What, what exactly is the Plasma desktop experience? It's just all the pretty stuff that goes on, is it? I think that's a lot of it, and uh, Jay Lindsay will probably correct me where I'm completely wrong on this, but I believe that one of the things about KDE that makes it popular is a lot of the effects that are built into KDE and a lot of the compositing that sort of give KDE that glossy finish and that really polished look are built into the code that makes KDE run. So it's not necessarily reliant on like the 3D rendering engines and stuff that's closer to the bare metal hardware that lies underneath it. They separated it all, didn't they, into what they call their data engines. So yeah, they I think don't, that they was all the tie idea. in together, but they're separate entities that you can work on individually, I think. Something yeah. like that, I don't know. I mean, KDE, the KDE's big claim to fame is that it's so configurable, it is so hands-on. It is the one thing that if you are really wanting to bury yourself and immerse yourself into your desktop environment, KDE is the way to go. If you just want something that looks like a desktop and has some icons on it and actually works for you, then GNOME or LXDE or any of the other more lighter weight desktops are sort of the way to go. Um, I, I think uh, KDE is really the desktop for the for the truly savvy, the truly the true power user. Um, you know, we may get some uh, conflicting information on this, but I, I think I'm safe in saying that. Excellent. I'm not sure if I'll try it. I'm uh, more of an, a GNOME guy myself. I have tried KDE in the past. Couldn't tell you what version. I didn't seem to have a problem with it, but I, like you say, I find GNOME is a little bit more simple. Uh, so there you go. A quick note on that one. All right. Are, are you showing me here a bullet point that says that there's Ham Radio Deluxe is going to be, cost money? Is that what you're saying here? Yes, uh, that's uh, what I read. Another hot off the presses. That one was released today. Our, uh, HRD Software LLC announces the release of HRD, Ham Radio Deluxe 6.1 Preview Beta 3. Uh, 6.0 was released only uh, last February, February 2013. But what caught my attention is that the uh, release, uh, the, the beta will be um, released to paid users for the next few weeks on a trial basis. Boo! And uh, when it does come out, it will retail for uh, $99.95. Also, boo, but I thought it was an interesting little ham radio-related story. I, I, there's a lot of uh, uh, ham radio deluxe fans out there. I believe you can still download a, one of the earlier versions and use it for free. Uh, and I've tried it. It's, it's, a, it's a cool software. There's a lot of, lot, of, uh, lot of stuff installed there for somebody who does, wants a, um, an easy uh, experience installing software that has a, a bunch of digital modes already uh, installed, uh, pre-installed. Um, go ahead and try it out. I, I don't think I'll pay for it, but you know, $99.95 isn't the end of the world, I guess. Uh, it's a little too steep for my blood, uh, but I uh, just thought I'd mention it. Well, this is really interesting news, actually, as far as I'm concerned, because I want to go back into our archives, and this is making me wish that we had actually indexed our content a little bit better, because I want to go back to episode 50-something or 60-something, wherever it happens to be, where Richard and I discussed the fact that the development of Ham Radio Deluxe was changing hands, and we speculated that the very first thing that was going to come out of that change hands in uh, development was the fact that HRD was going to wind up not being free. This is something that we said very specifically when we saw the direction that HRD was heading, that we figured that it wasn't going to be too long 
before Ham Radio Deluxe became a four-pay project. And here it is. And I want to go back and find the place where we actually had our, you know, our little prescient hats on and saw this coming two years before it actually happened. Yeah, I, I remember that. I've, I've been a listener for quite a while, uh, some of you may know, but I, I remember you guys mentioning something about that. And, and it was kind of to be expected. I mean, the project is very popular. There's a big following, you know, people being uh, what they are. The, the guy, you know, sold and, and made his money, and now the new developers are going to try to get their money back. And that's just kind of the way business is, unfortunately, uh, in certain realms. Uh, but, uh, you know, so be it. And, and there's a whole lot of other tools that we could use that aren't HRD. I, I personally find HRD is cool, but I personally find it really heavy. And I don't use everything that's in it. And I prefer using two or three applications that I do use uh, that make my entire system lighter. But that's just my choice. And uh, like I said, you can still download a, a previous version, a ver virgin, a previous version of HRD uh, that is still freeware that you could use, um, you know, without having to pay for it. You just won't have the latest release. That may change in the future. I hope it doesn't. But uh, that's like I said, it is what it is. Right. And uh, here is my assessment of the latest development in HRD. It's crap. <laughs> <laughs> and also. Disappointed! <laughs> uh, yes, that's one of my favorite ones from. Uh, th thanks to Fab at Linux Outlaws for both of those because uh, he sort of created the first one and pointed me towards the second one. So, all right. Oh, well, since I've recorded an hour on the first segment. Maybe we should move to some music, and this one is actually your suggestion, so I'll go ahead and let you introduce it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, this is a band that I really like. Uh, the band is called Mindle Beach Markets. Uh, uh, one of the guys in the band is actually a friend of mine I've known for uh, since he was 16. Uh, they are a uh, rock, uh, reggae, experimental uh, band, uh, up and coming. They've actually toured... Uh, they went for a tour across Canada the last couple of weeks, and it's one of the bands that I had the opportunity to see a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so the uh, tune we're going to play is called No Time. Uh, it's not Creative Commons, but it is available for free download uh, for personal use. Uh, one of the good things about this band is that they make a lot of their music accessible for free. And uh, they actually have this side project called the Jellyfish Project, where all the band members, having grown up on the uh, West Coast on the ocean in uh, British Columbia, they go into the school and they teach uh, kids about uh, uh, marine biology, which is, a, you know, these guys are all in their mid-20s and they, you know, rock and rollers and, and et cetera, live the, living the, the dream, as it were. And they, they take the time to go into the, uh, into the schools and uh, do this public service stuff. They don't get money for this. They just do it out of the uh, kindness of their hearts. So uh, I think it's great. Uh, check them out, MindleBeachMarkets.com. And the track is called uh, No Time. It's got a bit of a, a boppy, summery, a good time feel to it. So we hope you enjoy. Like all the other lovers I've been tricked And thinking just how lovely you could be How lovely you could be Oh yeah Oh you made the loving seem so hard Really it should be done easily should be so easy And I was walking down the road one day Call me over like a fool I went to you Something I must learn I 
when you said Hey, we'll get the love and stay We'll be going away in no time And I don't feel no shame You said Hey, we'll get the love and stay Hello, am I the only one here? Anyhow, that was uh, No Time by Mindel Beach Markets. <laughs> Go ahead, Peter. Oh, no, I, I muted myself. I, I keep pressing pressing the control. So I used to mumble, uh, we are pushed to talk because there's so many bloody people on there, you've got to shut yourself up and you have pushed to talk. And I kept hitting the control button wondering why no one could hear me but I actually muted Skype. <laughs> I, I do that all the time, Russ will attest. I knew that song was too damn short. Yeah, it is very short, but uh, you know, you, you can't have a boppy summary tune that lasts five minutes because you'll just kill yourself. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm, I'm about ready for summer right now. The weather here has been, whoa, what the hell happened to my computer? Well, we can still hear you. Oh, that was weird. That's never happened before. It's Debian right. it's for you. run Debian. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, actually, it was it was my macOS machine that freaked out. So there, ha <laughs> ha. There you go. Oh, that, that's worse. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, here we are in the middle segment, segment two, and I, I suspect that a lot of segment one is going to get cut right the hell out. Here we have a couple of follow up topics that we've discussed. Uh, oh, I think in the last five episodes or go. Pete wanted to bring these up for some reason, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce these because, as I said before, you've done a lot of research on a couple of these topics, way more than I did, I think, when we originally brought them up. So uh, go ahead and tell us what you think about hammocks. Yeah, um, hammocks, uh, let's see, 5.0 is what I... I wanted to do a follow-up from episode 102 because we said we would. You guys talked about hammocks uh and uh, I thought I would try it out. It sounded really cool. I'm always looking for ham radio-related distributions just because I'm a ham radio operator. And uh, I thought this one was really interesting. So I installed it. I had no luck with ha Hammocks 6.0, the 64-bit version. 
which uh, was released in February 2013. For some reason, I tried it on uh, two different machines, um, really fast machines too. Uh, let's see, one of them was, uh, they're both dual you know, uh, quad-core machines. One was a 2.83 gig, one was a 3.4 gig. And for some reason, it just wouldn't install. It, it would, th- these, sorry, I, I didn't install them. I apologize. I used the uh, live CD. I could not use the live CD on those machines, so I defaulted to Hammocks 5.0, released in September 2012. That one worked great. Uh, GNOME uh, 2.16 desktop environment. The boot time uh, from the live CD was only three minutes on my uh, dual-core machine, uh, 1.8 gig. So uh, I thought it was a really good... It was my first foray into CentOS, personally. I hadn't uh, gone into uh, what they call, I believe it's the... uh, a community enterprise operating system is that what it is if i'm not mistaken but uh it's uh it's it's not too heavy it's it's very easy very intuitive to use it's got a bunch of uh, ham radio software pre-installed uh, uh fl digi FL, fl rig uh for rig control fl digi for digital modes of course uh things like uh, lin psk uh it's got of course you know uh, Firefox Pigeon, uh, some of your uh, open office, some of your standard uh, uh, installs. Uh, so I thought it was quite an interesting uh, distribution, and I've actually ran it several times. I haven't installed it yet, but I've been running it uh, regularly as a live CD. It, it makes my old, I have an old IBM T43 here that I use on the side, and it makes it a little bit speedier than the original XP install that's on there, that's for sure, even with the live CD. So um, I uh, gave it two thumbs up. I, th- I actually gave it three thumbs up. I thought it was really, really cool, and I'm considering installing it uh, full-time on my machine because uh, the beauty of Linux is if you don't like a distribution, you just install another one, and it only takes you, you know, 15, 20 minutes. So I uh, highly recommend it if you guys want to try it out. Uh, the ISO uh, for version 5 is only 658 megs, so it's uh, quite uh, small. So that's pretty much all I had to say about that. Are we supposed to be guessing where your third thumb is, or is this something that somebody under 18 should probably just forget about? <laughs> I don't know. I, two thumbs up. You know, I didn't want to get uh, sued by the estates of Siskel and Ebert, because I know how, how uh, high you guys are on, on uh, litigation, you know, and since I'm crossing the border with my voice, I'm just being cautious. It's only the lawyers who care about litigation. The rest of us who live in the real world couldn't care less. Yeah, but Siskel and Ebert's uh, estate must have uh, many, many lawyers. Oh, they they probably do. So what's the lawyer situation like in Australia? Oh, is Peter... Sorry, Rush, what's the weather situation like? <laughs> no, 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 the, the lawyer situation. I mean, are you guys fraught uh, yeah, with... I don't uh, think it's as bloody um, the states, but unfortunately I think it's heading that way. Oh, good. Well, at least we're not alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's a particularly good thing. <laughs> Basically, well, I, I've never had the need for any of them. Let's just say that I have, and recently, and I and I hate it all the more for the fact that I've actually been and sucked into the system. But I think now, what I would like to do is talk about the Klingon logging software. And the reason I want to do this is because I made fun of the Czechoslovakian pronunciation of this software package when we originally talked about it in episode one hundred and three. But honestly, after looking at your evaluation of the software, I think my evaluation of the pronunciation of the software name was actually not terribly far off. I, I believe I called it Toshnach, 
uh, which is why we said it was something uh, akin to Klingon. But it looks like, according to Google Translate, that it's actually Tuchniach, which well, actually good. sounds even more Klingon to me than the original. So uh, <laughs> the, the girl, the girl in Google Translate, the, the robot girl, made it sound much sexier. Oh, I bet she did. <laughs> hey, hey uh, speaking of sexy voices, uh, Peter64, would you want to give this one a shot? <laughs> <laughs> what do you want me to say um back um are, are you with us here in the follow-up from episode 103 review of the klingon logging software yeah yeah i'm looking at that not okay i understand it i'm not into the star trek that's right. where klingons come from isn't it yeah <laughs> but that, that's okay you don't have to know anything about klingons but a couple of bullets down it says the proper pronunciation is uh that thing there so if you if you want to have a go at that to, to badger that sounds scottish actually <laughs> no nah, if i know you have to pronounce that one yourself <laughs> okay yeah, well like, i think we're gonna tuchniak tuchniak yeah 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 and that's actually what i thought was cool that the reason i was attracted to it is when i started doing a bit of research on it uh i realized that tuchniak is is actually it simply means penguin in czech and and when I found that out, I thought, hey, this is cool. I'm going to do a little bit more research. And so just a little bit of a clever name got me to uh, discover a whole new uh, software. Since you're the one who's who's researched it, and, and Peter and I haven't done anything with Tuchniak since we talked about it the first time, well, since I talked about it the first time, and since Peter hasn't talked about it at all up till now, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us all about it? Yeah, again, I won't spend too, too much time on it because it's a follow-up. But I also uh, downloaded and installed the Tuchniak, uh, or I, I won't even pronounce it the, the, the Klingon way. But uh, I, I got version 3.17. Uh, it's a 6.5 meg uh, uh, download, so it's really small. I released, uh, let's see, back in February 2013. I used the uh, i386 uh, version. Um, let's see, it's a multi-platform for to reiterate what we already said, multi-platform VHF and HF uh, contest logging uh, software. It's executable on Linux and uh, other Unix-type systems, of course, uh, and they claim that since version 3, it's also native on uh, MS Windows, Android, and Kindle, which we'd mentioned. I tried it on a Windows machine, actually. Took me about 10 seconds to download it, uh, about two minutes to install it. It's a very, very light uh, environment. Uh, it's very simple, very plain. It resembles a DOS environment for those of you who remember, you know, it's basically a black and white, very simple. Uh, I didn't find it very intuitive at first glance. Well, not even at second or third glance. It's not something that I could just jump in there and start using. Um, however, um, you know, AAA for effort to the uh, developer, uh, Ladislav uh, Vais, I believe, uh, OK1ZIA. Uh, it's great documentation, a great quick start guide with uh, really easy step-by-step uh, -step instructions, examples, screenshots. Um, so that, you know, if you follow that, no problem. I got uh, to using it within a few minutes. Uh, some of the features that I like, if you uh, network with other Tuchniak users, there's a chat window where you can keep in touch. If you're a diehard contester, you want to keep in touch with your buddy. Uh, you can export uh, your logs to all the standard, you know, ADIF, Cabrillo, 
uh, HTML uh, text files. What, what's interesting is that the text files only um, export in Czech right now, but all the other ones will uh, uh, export in English. Uh, features rig control, uh, features recording to wave. So I, I personally gave it one one thumb up, one thumb down, and one in the middle to uh, bring the third thumb back. And the reason uh, is because I'm not a diehard contester, and it's strictly a contest software. I would, however, recommend that if you're a contester, download it and check it out. Like I said, the wiki is really easy to uh, follow and use. Um, and it's it's worth a try, and it might be something that you like. Once I got using it, and if I was to use it more regularly, it would be something that would become more intuitive. Uh, but it wasn't intuitive at first glance for me. But um, he claims that you can help him. Uh, what's funny, you can help him by uh, uh, testing the stable and uh, unstable parts and reporting errors to him. Uh, if you have ways to improve Tuchniak, you can email him the ideas, uh, write new parts of it, uh, create a package for your own distribu distribution. But what I thought was the funniest in the uh, How to Help Me uh, uh, page was uh, it says, translate this document to other languages or repair bugs in the English version. And that's funny because the next line says, voluntary small contribute for beers, please send to author. So, yes, he does need help with the English translations. <laughs> but uh, other than that, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, a, it's worth a try if, if you're uh, so interested. What's interesting about that, well, there's a couple of interesting things or a couple of points that I want to bring up. The first is the fact that Tuchniak is actually beerware. And if you go to Wikipedia and look up beerware, it, it's actually a thing. It, it's a, a specific subset of free software, which is kind of interesting in and of itself. And the other thing is when you talked about the disposition of your third thumb, I was kind of curious which way it was going this time. <laughs> Going in the middle. Uh, in the middle. One up, one down, and one in the middle. <laughs> so straight out then. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, straight out. There you go. All right. So I, I, I was not aware that there was such a thing as beerware. See, I'm, I'm learning something yet again. Yeah, Pete, Peter64 is probably pretty familiar with beerware, aren't you? No, I, I don't drink, Ross. You don't drink? No. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> you mow lawns for a living. You have to be a drinker. I, um, I drink probably <laughs> twice a year. And like I said before at the at the pre-show, when I drink, I do a damn good job of it. But um, I don't do it very often at all. There you go. When you do something, you should do it well. That's right. Yeah, you, exactly. you should always do it. Never as, have to do anything. Yes, that's right. Okay, well, uh, that was actually a, a rather informative uh, look at, at Tuchniak. And, and I actually, when I first saw it, even though, you know, it was sort of half in Czech and half in English and it was it was all sort of kind of a mess, and uh, it actually seemed like despite all of its dysfunction, it really had some promise. So uh, based on this analysis, I really think I'm going to take a look and uh, check it out some more. If nothing else... I'm going to look at it as uh, part of the foundation that I use for developing my own logging application. The, that would be great if you do let me know because I, I'm not looking for a contest logger because I don't contest a whole lot. I'm just looking for a general logger, and those are harder to find, it seems. that Everybody's contesting. So if you could adapt that, because I, once I started getting a little bit more at ease with it, it, it was actually it's really simple to use. You know, he claims it's one of the simplest uh, logging softwares out there. Well, once you know how it works, it is pretty simple. So if that could be translated into just a regular logger, I might actually use that full-time. Well, that sounds good. It, it's something I would definitely like to investigate a little bit further and... Uh... 
my my intention is the logger that I develop is going to be suitable for both. It'll be both as a as a general kind of logger, just for your average contact information, and also suitable for doing specific kinds of contest logging like uh, soda and iota and field day and uh, things along those lines as well. So hopefully I'll, I'll even learn a little bit from this bit of software. We'll see. I'm sure you will. All right. Well, we actually got through the second segment pretty fast. So unless Woo-hoo. unless Peter wants to interject with his sexy, you know, undertones for a few seconds before we move on to the second bit of music, I guess we'll just sexy. Uh, yes, sexy. Now I'm waiting until you get to this flight radar. I'm sitting here watching all the flights take off out of Sydney. Isn't that cool? cool? Isn't it the coolest yeah, it thing is. ever? Yeah, but I suppose we need to wait till we get to segment three. All right, well, you can sit there and watch planes for the next five or six minutes, and then we'll uh, we'll all dive in and talk about what's uh, a really cool project in uh, monitoring plane travel. I sort of uh, usurped Pete's uh, second song that he wanted to play for this episode and said... No, not at all. It was just a suggestion. I'm more than happy to get your uh, suggestions as well. <laughs> well, good. I'm suggesting over your suggestion. <laughs> Anyway, I found this great song, or at least I believe it's a great song on Jamendo, of course, which is where I find most of my music. This is a song by a band called No Creeps. Uh, It's called Delirium, and it's on their album Time to Differ. So if you want to find the information about this, go ahead and uh, go over to jamendo.com. You'll you'll find uh, everything you ever wanted to know about Delirium over there. This one actually came out a few years ago, back in 2006. Uh, the band is German, and uh, they do happen to sing in English. So this is a this is a very cool song. It's a very sort of grungy, medley kind of. I don't know. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Whatever you know, uh, take from it what you will. We'll be back in about five minutes when this song is over, and we're gonna we're gonna look at some plane travel.
it's over. My ears are bleeding. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> I'm just bugging you. I'll come over there and stab you. Then your ears will bleed. I've, I've heard a lot, uh, a lot harder uh, rock on this, a lot heavier rock on this show. Yeah, I didn't think that was too bad. Oh, no, no, not at all. Actually, that was quite nice. That was nice. That was nice. That was nice. <laughs> Say what? You like the first one? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, yeah. But I'm a country western man myself. So. Country western, Excellent. boy. How old are you, 90? Uh, getting up there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nothing wrong with country. 50. 50? Uh, yeah, you're just not going to say that. That's all right. That it's, uh, he's not sure. He's, he's, counting, yeah, he's counting on his nah, fingers. Like, that's why I have a wife and a daughter. They tell me how old I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At least they remind you. Of, it's, uh, it's not how old you are. It's how old you feel. So how old do you feel? Well, actually, they always tell me that you're only as old as the girl you're feeling or the lady you're feeling. Isn't it? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Thankfully, my wife's two years younger than me. So. Oh, I was figuring she was about 18. No, I get <laughs> nah, yeah, no. I was going to say something like that. I thought this was a KPO. Uh, good. At least you're, what, 10,000 miles away from me, so I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pete. I, I, I took this uh, next bit of information that you sent me, and I spent about two hours this afternoon watching these damn planes fly around. So go ahead and tell us about Flight Radar 24. This is some fun stuff. Yeah, I know. I I was uh, one of my friends, Bob Stein, a fellow uh, ham radio operator here, V2MHO, uh, and and great friend, sent me this a little while back. He's a huge aviation buff. Uh, I'd never seen this um, website. It's called the flightradar24.com, triple dub dot flightradar24.com. If you guys want to check it out right now while we're talking about it, I also, you know, as soon as he sent it to me, I'm I'm a little bit of an aviation buff as well, not as much as him, but I I spent uh, many hours on it since then. Uh, it's a free flight tracking service that provides you with real time info about, you know, literally thousands of aircrafts ar around the world. You can either uh, just uh, pop that address into your web browser and, and see what comes up. It figures out uh, where you are and it uh, gives you your uh, somewhat local uh, radar view. Or you can uh, search for various um, flights if you know a flight number, etc., etc. Uh, or you could look by area. You could look see what's happening in Africa, what's happening in Europe, uh, etc. It's uh, currently available online, which is uh, beautiful. Uh, you don't have to download anything. It's just there for you to use. It's also available on many platforms, iOS, iPhone, iPad, iTouch, I, uh, anything else. Uh, Android devices, of course, uh, Windows, Mac, uh, Linux-based. It's free. Like I said, it's web-based. Uh, you could use it for free anytime you want. However, you uh, can get a premium membership for uh, $3 a month. Uh, and I think that if you sign up for a year, well, I don't think. If you sign up for a year, it's a little bit cheaper than that. It works out to... No, apologies. It's $4 a month if you pay by the month and $3 a month if you pay for a whole year. Uh, the advantages of being a premium member, of paying for the membership, um, if you uh, look at this thing for a little while, Flight Radar 24, uh, it'll time out after 10, 15, 20 minutes. I'm not sure exactly. Then you just have to reload the page. If you become a premium member, there's no more timeouts, of course. Uh, you get uh, Radar View, which is really cool, uh, using Google Chrome. Uh, you can get a, the, the Radar View, which is the view that the air traffic controllers would see. 
uh, on their uh, radars. You get an ad-free website because, of course, many things that are free uh, often have ads on them to help them pay. Uh, like I said, your website won't time out. You can bookmark uh, different information, flights, uh, things of that nature. And uh, you have the possibility of showing uh, what's called uh, NDBs. Uh, aviation buffs will know what that is. Non-directional beacons, which is an older technology. And what's called a VOR, which is VHF Omnidirectional Range Beacon, which are beacons that planes use to line themselves up uh, with the runway. And of course, you can get the, uh, uh, if you get the premium version, you can get the uh, full screen view. But that being said, uh, using it for free takes away nothing from your experience, as uh, my two uh, co-hosts will attest. So this originated from something called the Next Gen. The Next Gen project is this huge umbrella term that's uh, used for an ongoing uh, transformation of uh, the uh, NAS, the National Airspace System. And at its most basic level, I guess basically it's uh, evolution of uh, ground-based traffic uh, system control with satellite technology so that they can do a new kind of aircraft uh, traffic management. Uh, basically what this means is that um, in, in the future, very soon, it already exists, but soon it will be deployed at large. Basically, uh, every airplane won't be at the mercy of the air traffic controller to know where other airplanes are. They'll have that radar directly in their uh, cockpit. Basically, I guess if, if a pilot brings a, uh, a white, if, if he has access to the internet, he could see that right now. But uh, it'll be very precise, of course. And uh, this uh, next-gen project, uh, which was uh, developed by NASA originally, uh, is going to put uh, more control in the pilot's hands and more information, which is definitely not a bad thing. If you guys want more information on NextGen, you can go to the FAA's website, uh, www.faa.gov slash NextGen, and you'll have all the information uh, that I have in front of me that I'm not going to read. Uh, so how does Flight Radar 24 work? Well, basically, they get this information from uh, this uh, NextGen project, these uh, systems called Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast Systems, ADS-B. And basically, these are just beacons that the plane uh, send out. They send out a beacon and there's a receiver in the other plane and the other plane receives said beacon and it knows basically where it is. So the aircraft obviously gets its uh, location from a GPS source, from a satellite, and uh, uh, they can uh, basically talk to each other. They can see where each other is. Uh, presently, uh, it, they claim that 60% uh, of all uh, Passenger aircraft are equipped with these uh, ADSB transponders, uh, about 70% in Europe and uh, 30% in the United States. And that's uh, only going to uh, go up, basically. Um, let's see, but wait, uh, there's more I wrote, uh, which is kind of uh, exciting, because um, you can get uh, free equipment. There's a free equipment uh, giveaway if you're in the uh, right zone or meet the uh, right criteria. Basically, you can contact the uh, Flight Radar 24 people. There's a page on their uh, website uh, that says, uh, uh, help us. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I'll have, I'll have to look up the link and see what the link says. But basically, you can go on the, on the help us link and uh, they'll give you uh, free equipment after you answer a whole bunch of, um, of questions and see if you're in the uh, right uh, criteria. But they basically are looking for people. They're basically going to give people transponders who are close to airports where they have no transponders. So you can actually buy. You can go on the Internet uh, and buy these little uh, receivers yourself. 
if you're not interested in using Flight Radar 24 and you want to set up your own uh, rece reception system, you can get one of these little receivers that will receive and decode these transponder uh, beacons uh, for your own, and it comes with uh, uh, software, yada, yada. But uh, basically, uh, the requirements are that your uh, um, equipment be available 24-7 to give the information to their uh, server. So uh, my conclusion on that is that it's, uh, it's cool, it's free, and uh, you, know, you can monitor planes. I'm, I'm going to use it. One of my cousins is actually flying in in a few weeks uh, from California, from San Francisco, and I'm going to use this to uh, track her flight all the way here. So uh, there you go. That's what I had to say on that one. That's really sad because... Ever since I started watching this thing, that's the first thing I thought of. My parents are going to be flying in on Thursday afternoon from Boston. The first thing I'm going to do when I get to work in the morning is I'm going to fire up Flight Radar 24 and I'm going to watch their damn plane come in. You, you can just click on, on you know, you, you can either put the flight number into a search box or you can click on the plane and you can track the plane all the way. Uh, which is which is really cool. I'll tell you what altitude they're flying, what uh, flight. Another neat feature that I forgot to mention in my notes is that you can even get a cockpit view. And I was wondering how this one worked because I figured not every single plane has a, a webcam in the front window to see where they're going. I was wondering how the cockpit view worked. But once you click on the cockpit view, you realize that they're just using the transponder information from the plane and then going to a Google Maps and, and showing you basically what they would be seeing. So it's not a live shot. It's not a live cockpit view, but it's still kind of cool because you could see, you know, what uh, areas they're flying over. So another uh, neat little feature. So yeah, you should use that to track your parents. And uh, another thing that I do is I have a scanner here that I uh, have programmed in the local frequencies for the airports around here. So once they get closer, you could even listen to the approach. Yeah, that's cool. I, I have a, um, a scanner that will also monitor uh, local frequencies, but unfortunately the airport where they're going to be landing at is about five hours from where I am. So I, I won't actually be able to hear their uh, aircraft uh, communications, but not I will definitely take a taxi. Are you? Uh, no, we will actually go and pick them up. <laughs> That's right. You're a nice boy. <laughs> yes. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, no, but I will be, I will be watching their flight come in. I thought that, uh, is really cool. And to watch that. And, uh, the, the bit about the cockpit view actually uses Google earth. Cause I wanted to try it a couple of times at both times. It says, uh, you know what? You don't have the Google earth plugin in your browser. So guess what? You can't see the cockpit view. Ha ha. Suck it. I, I had that problem too. The first time. Right. But what was kind of interesting is while you were talking about the Flight Radar 24 product, I watched a plane land at uh, runway 18 in Oklahoma City. Uh, I watched it come in, land, uh, and taxi to uh, the terminal, which was kind of cool considering that I didn't know that kind of thing was even possible. I noticed that the FAA flight, so anything that's uh, that's regulated by the FAA, at least here, uh, I get the information five minutes later, whereas all the Canadian flights, I get them in real time, uh, which is really interesting. Well, no, I, th I, I think that's interesting too, but it's probably so the terrorists don't know where to send the ICBMs. You know, well, you know. on, only for the American flights. They could blow all of our planes out of the sky if they want. Well, you see how much they care about Canadian flights, right? <laughs> we, <laughs> we guess we don't have that much. Uh, you know, we don't we don't transport uh, illicit uh, uh, weapons in, on our flights. We don't have any illicit weapons, so I guess we're safe. Uh, I don't think that's true. Yes, it's true. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> Th this comes from Pete, the authority on these things. I am. I'm the authority on all things. 
All so, things Canadian. So how much air traffic is there over your part of the world, Peter? Not as uh, much uh, as there is. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking to me. Carry uh, on. That's uh, no, no, what he probably was. No, no um, I was actually talking to the Australian one. I just zoomed out. It's actually amazing how much air traffic is in the world in general. I'd love to know how many planes are in the air at any one time and how many people are up there. I mean, there's a fair bit over Australia, obviously, but a hell of a lot more flying into Heathrow and around Europe and um, over your neck of the woods, Russ, that's for sure. Yeah, Europe I, is, I bet they huge. You, Europe is really busy airspace. Yeah, mm. the thing is, I, I bet they don't let us know how much air traffic there really is because everybody would be too scared Badger. to fly if they knew how many planes there were around them. Well, just look at the bunch. If you just you know zoom out and, and look over uh, places like Los Angeles, New York, just the, the concentration. And you know they can't fit them all on there because there's only so much resolution you could fit. There's a lot more planes. It's just I was flabbergasted by the amount of planes there are flying at any one time, just seeing it. I mean, you know they're up there, but when you see it visually on that display, it's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty intense. Yeah, no, I'm looking at basically I ha I have the entire United States sort of encompassed in my in my view right now and there are planes stacked upon planes stacked upon planes. And this doesn't make me feel necessarily very good especially since the news has been talking lately about furloughing air traffic controllers. This doesn't make me feel real confident about uh, the way traffic flies at uh, 30,000 feet quite frankly. Uh, but you've seen with next gen, you won't have to worry about that because the pilots will do away with the air traffic controllers. They'll know where each other is. Well, and that's entirely possible. So, but I have to say that as a, as just a technology to be able to see the sort of flight data and even just looking at the stuff that's flying over the United States right now, this is, this is pretty amazing just to, just to watch the sheer number of airplanes. And one thing I've noticed is that as far as the real-time transponders, a lot of them happen to be cargo aircraft. Uh, UPS and FedEx happen to fly a lot of aircraft around uh, over United States airspace, and a lot of the real-time data seems to be cargo planes. So you can see where your mail is going, which is kind of cool. <laughs> it's funny you said that. I was just looking at a FedEx plane coming from the States over to Sydney, and I was thinking, that's probably got my new camera lens on it. It's supposed to arrive here in two days' time. Well, hope it doesn't yeah. disappear off the radar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but it's funny you say that, because just imagine if you were sitting here 9-11 watching this and watch all the aeroplanes disappear over the States as they all got grounded. Yeah, that would that be would interesting. Been, I, I don't know if that yeah. website was around then. I didn't know about it, but uh, that would have been interesting indeed. Interesting. It, it really does work because I'm, I'm over um, one of the approach paths is just goes over my house basically. So I, I watched some of the planes and I had my laptop out there and, and I was checking them out. And if you double click on one of the icons, the plane will come up and the, the company and you could see how their plane is, is painted. And, and it's actually, you know, it really works. It, they're, they're the actual planes that are flying over. I could see them on my screen as well. So, yeah, it's a, it's a neat little toy if you guys have some time to kill. And, and if you don't, you'll find some time to kill, I guarantee. I, w I was looking at your links about the software where you can actually link to your own uh, local receiver for the transponder data. But I didn't see anything where you indicated where you can actually buy the receivers. Is, is that somewhere where I'm not seeing it? Or is that... I didn't put that in the links. Um, if you go to the main website, there's a couple of places where they... They, they give you um, equipment 
types, and then that's where you can get the links from. So on, on their website, there'll be, I can't remember exactly where it is. I'd have to check it out, but that's how I saw it. And they had um, receivers for as cheap as, as around 50 euros, whatever that is, about 75 bucks, uh, going up to, you know, into the thousands, depending on how, um, how far you want to go. And, and those are ADSB-based uh, receivers, I assume. Exactly, and they come with software that you put on your uh, on your on your machine, and basically you'll get a, a real time view of of what you see on Flight Radar Twenty Four. Just you know your local traffic, depending on how high your antenna is, and, and everything would depend on how many planes you'd actually get. Um, but you know because only about thirty or forty percent of of our North American planes are transpondered, you probably wouldn't see all of them anyways. As, as time went on, you would, I would assume. Right. And one thing I noticed is that they have the software built for ARM processors, which means it'll probably run on your your BeagleBone or your Raspberry Pi, which is, yeah. is kind of cool. Absolutely. It's all tying in. It's going full circle. All right. So it's scary. You, we're getting good. I know. We, we almost sound like we know what we're doing <laughs> or something like that. And uh, so, so what did you think, Peter64, even though you came into this cold thinking, I'm not going to know anything about what the hell these guys are talking about. Did, did you feel like you could actually contribute to the show tonight? Because I honestly think you did. Oh, I appreciate that, Rash. I tell you what, I've certainly enjoyed it. Uh, and I tell you, also, I'd love to get you on Colonel Panic one day so we could continue our discussion on Linux distributions and the good, the bad about them. And Pete, too, any time. You, you don't need an invitation if you'd love to join us. I'd love to. I know yeah, nothing yeah. about Linux, but I can certainly uh, drink and uh, spew off some crap. <laughs> well, you'll fit right in then <laughs> on Colonel Panic. That's Sounds sure. good. But yeah, no, we, we, like I said before, we have some very intelligent blokes on the show, and they use a diverse um, a range of Linux distributions and have tried just about every single one of them. And there's, there's a wealth of knowledge on there. Um, like I said, I don't fit in well at all. But, um, um, I, don't, I don't think that's true at all. I, I think you, if nothing else, you give a perfect counterpoint to some of the people who think they know everything about technology who show up on those kind of shows. And you can interject your own personal experiences and, and guide them into a way where they actually have to think about the things they say and not feel like they're preaching to the nord, the nerd choir um, every Saturday or, when, or whenever it is they decide to record. So. I have I've listened to many of the shows you've been on, and I I really respect your opinion and your insight in, into the things that you do. And maybe you feel like you don't know everything there is to know about the technology fields, but uh, you understand how things work, and you and you do have uh, a valid opinion. And I, for one, believe that people can can learn from you just like they can uh, for anyone else who who you might think is uh, more technically savvy than you, but I, I think you're selling yourself short overall. Oh, I appreciate that, Russ. Yeah, but, yeah, definitely my point of view is a lot different to the blokes I typically hang around with on the show uh, because I, I'm just a user, and like I said, I don't come from the IT background, but I've learned so much in the last 10 years, made some great friends, and that's what Linux has really been about. And I hate the word, I said this on, on KPO, I hate the word community now. There's a particular bloke who sort of ruined that word, but it really is about the community and the friends you make for me. 
Yeah, I, I, I'd have to wholeheartedly agree about that. Is there, is there anything you want to let our listeners know about, uh, Peter, like KPO or, or anything uh, that you're involved with uh, before we move on to a couple of pieces of feedback here and then just kind of wrap up? No, no, I'd, I'd just like to say thanks for having me on the show. It's been great entertaining. I, I love listening to you, uh, Pete. I, unfortunately, I haven't listened to any of the shows you've been on because, for, unfortunately, my podcast listening in the last three months or so has been very limited. But um, the Linux and Richard, Richard, is Richard coming back or we, he hopes <laughs> to return? Your, your guess is as good as mine. As, as far as we're concerned, uh, Pete and I will be doing this uh, ad infinitum. If Richard decides he wants to come back and become a part of this show, you'll be just as surprised as the rest of us. Have you heard well, from him at all? Have you gotten any news? Or well, we hear from him in you know random events uh, on Facebook and and through that, but we haven't had any real direct interaction with him. We know he's alive and he's that trying to he, he's trying to move forward with his life and and uh, you know be become a part of uh, Texas society once again. But as far as whether or not he's going to come back and what he's doing on a day-to-day basis and whether he has a job or not and whether he's drinking himself into a hole and whether his family's trying to kill him. We don't know any of those things. So if, if we find out anything, we will let you know for sure. So there's hope for a good story is what you're saying. That That's what I'm there's saying, absolutely. Murder in Texas. <laughs> uh, daily. <Yeah. laughs> LHS Podcast has a new follower on Twitter, uh, Jeff B., and uh, I guess I'll give his Twitter name, and I'll be giving away his last name at the same time, kind of. But it's uh, at uh, Bundini. Uh, he is, uh, his tagline is a problem solver, sometimes with software, sometimes with hardware, but mostly with conversation. So I think I'd like to talk to Jeff uh, sometime. Sounds like a great guy from Boulder, Colorado. So welcome to Jeff. Uh, that's really cool. We also have a new subscriber to the website, uh, Alan from uh, Felsmere, Florida, WA1BG. So welcome to you as well, Alan. Uh, happy to have you aboard. Uh, we would like to thank all of our monthly donors, of course. Uh, thanks to all of our listeners alive and uh, those of you uh, via podcast. With that, I think we're ready to go ahead and wrap this up. So thanks once again, uh, Peter64, for coming on the show. I really enjoyed your input. And, of course, hopefully your accent will bring in those ladies. You know, that was the whole point. So Hey, ladies. <laughs> uh, all right. So thanks again, fellas. It's been great fun. All right, sounds good, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, get a chance to show up on the Colonel Panic Oddcast here pretty quick. We'd love to have you. Yeah, and come back, Peter, for sure. That'd be awesome. Yeah, unfortunately, it's just the time. It's you know, I'm I'm actually off work at the moment. But, um, well, then it's yeah. not a problem. Just yeah, be, off, not now, just be off work any time that we have a show, and then your problem is solved. <laughs> I could do it live from the mower. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be fun yeah you have a barbecue and a, and a big screen tv on your mower because you'd fit in real good then yeah i can see that interview so peter what do you think about debian's latest version yeah. <laughs> exactly. be an improvement on the sound quality well maybe you never know uh, all right pete well i'm gonna let you start rocking this one out i'm gonna hit the music and uh we're gonna get the hell out of here so uh thanks everybody for listening and uh pete's gonna start our little outro 
Yeah, very good. Thank you very much, everyone. Once again, I'd like to thank our monthly donors and our uh, non-monthly donors, people who are one-off. Uh, uh, we appreciate your contributions. Thanks to everybody who listens uh, live or via the podcast. Uh, please talk about us to your friends. Uh, you can reach us uh, both at uh, info at lhspodcast.info. You could leave us a voicemail at one nine zero nine lhs show or 1-909-547-7469 subscribe to the podcast uh, join the mailing list and become a member and uh, we hope to see you guys again uh, in two weeks Uh, thanks for being here 7-3 from uh, Montreal my name's Pete V2XPL alright well Pete has taken most of the stuff that I usually do but you can find me on the various social networks out there I'm J.R. Woodman on Twitter and Identica and Facebook and Google Plus. I'm also K5TUX at 73s.org. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the program. You've got the email address, the dial in number, LHS Podcast on Info is the website. Come to the IRC, hashtag LHS Podcast on the Freenode Network and talk to us during the week when we're not actually broadcasting live. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and close out episode number 106 of Linux in the Ham Shack. You've heard Pete. I'm Russ, K5TUX, broadcasting live from between the peaks in the pine forest of north central Arkansas. And we will catch you all in a couple weeks' time. Goodbye. Good night, all.